to everybody a everybody gay a queer exploration of pretty little liars with your hosts speak pirate aka joanna i'm here i'm queer and i have a cat named spencer and your other host lco123 aka vena a proud member of the church of vander jesus oh welcome welcome to no one here can love or understand me uh, this is a pretty uneven episode, really. Uh, a lot of it is spent either hashing out the past or fretting about the future. Uh, the Hastings stuff between Spencer and Melissa is a highlight, as is the Mona Aria scene at the movies. Uh, otherwise, we have a lot of people kind of spinning around, restating the stakes, other notable elements. Uh, Paige has a date with Not Emily. We get a redux of Act Normal Bitch. Uh, Hannah is having bad thoughts, and the liars start to believe Allison might be A. Um, I don't know, I feel like this episode is also kind of a harbinger for the long stretches of season seven where the show itself isn't clear about what the mystery is. And it has post-jump elements, too, of like kind of single-stakes episodes where last episode ended with this big moment of like, we're all going to go to the cops. And then like that is wrapped up like before the opening credits of this one even hit the screen. Oh yeah. This is a, a, an episode that is messy. It struggles with pacing. It also has the unenviable task of trying to put the Ravenswood show and storyline to bed for good um, in a way that, that forces our, our characters to deliver some truly just wild lines that we will get to later in the episode. But it's, you know, just as a backdoor pilot is always an awkward episode. I feel like this is like, I don't even know what you would call this, like a a backdoor series finale in a sense. Like it's <laughs> it's very, it's awkward in that way. Like it's always going to be awkward. Um and uh, yeah, it, the show is clearly like, we are done with the Ravenswood storyline. Here's what we got, you know? Yeah, there were a lot of, like, there are a lot of actors in this one who really are doing their best to sell some nonsense. Like, yes. Like, I, I will say that Spencer and Melissa both are doing their best to sell, like, a, a somewhat weak. Uh, a somewhat weak explanation on the Bethany Young front. Uh, and I do feel like uh, Tyler is working really hard to to kind of like make the Ravenswood stuff seem coherent. Uh, what are your thoughts about Ashley Benson in this episode? Uh, do you feel like she's working quite as hard as the <laughs> others? Or do you think she is uh, perhaps like <laughs> hashtag yawn haunted? I think that there are some moments where she's really good, like where she's really selling it. Like I think that in in the conversation with Spencer um, in the brew or in the um, Apple Rose Grill, I think she's really good. Um, there are moments in the conversation with Caleb where I think she's great. But I also think that like she's in sort of a weird spot where she was on this whole kind of character journey with Hannah that was very much about Hannah's identity and exploring, you know, her own trauma and her own history with Allison and this whole situation with Zach. And very suddenly we have shifted into her being in like supportive girlfriend mode as she deals with her boyfriend. And her storyline has really been sort of superseded by everything going on with Caleb, which has always been a complaint of mine about the way that the Hannah identity storyline kind of wraps up in season five. Um, so 
I do think she seems there's a little bit of like season seven Ashley Benson energy in this episode. But I also think that like she's for the most part doing her best with with the the hand she's been dealt here. <laughs> you make a good point. You make a good point that Hannah's material is just less interesting in this episode than it has been. Yes, yes. But I really do think like Troyan is doing her best to sell just she has some lines in this episode that are <laughs> real clunkers and she is she is doing her best. Man, she is a pro. She always she always does her best day in, day out, no matter what. But yeah, it's true that um that Spencer has some some rough ones. And like that one whole scene where she's just like she has actually two scenes where she's just interacting with the screen. Yes. So, Ah, yeah, good, good times, good times. Literally, literally pausing the video to talk to it. <laughs> um, I will say this: this episode also somewhat uniquely. Uh, not only does it have no a tag at the end, uh, it also has no a activity uh, except for like once the opening credits hit the screen. Like we do have some yeah. a stuff right in the opening, uh, but once we once we learn that Allison is out of town. Because we're now in a space where the show wants to act like maybe Allison is A, uh, all of a sudden A is also absent. Well, I also think that this is a weird foreshadow for the post-jump timeline where, like, there will be whole episodes where Allison is just not around because clearly <laughs> the writers don't really know what they want to do with her. And so she's, you know, there'll be, like, an episode where, you know, that's hugely Allison-focused, and then the next episode it's like, oh, she's at an inn this week or she's <laughs> in the hospital this week. Like, yeah, she's just not here. She's playing the role of Byron Montgomery this week. <laughs> oh, Byron, who unfortunately oh. is here. Ooh. I feel like this whole episode, Arya is remembering how much easier it is to be a single parent. Yes, 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 she sure is. Oh man. Well, shall we finally dive in? Let's... Let's go. Um, the OG four liars are standing across the square from the police station talking about how they're going to do it right this time. It's a big moment. They decided to cut ties and expose Allison's lies. But this resolution does not make it even two minutes into this episode as the electronic store that we've never seen before uh, and which has a window display of many, many screens is suddenly taken over with pictures of Allison visiting Hannah in the hospital when she broke her leg. Words appear saying, we're all in this together. Um, the liars realize no one will believe their story if A can play this card. Um, Spencer picks up a brick and thinks about smashing the glass, but the other liars dramatically hold her back. Um, the screens change to broadcast an image of the liars standing there. Spencer continues to stare as most of the screens go back to normal, except one that tells them to act normal, bitch. Yeah, this also reminded me of like post jump where we're kind of getting some of the some of the greatest hits are repeating to somewhat diminishing returns. Um, <laughs> what do you think about this whole thing, though, this idea that because there's this picture of Allison visiting Hannah their entire plan falls apart and they can never speak to the police. I mean, that's like just another element. That's just another element of nonsense that this episode is asking us to accept at face value. There's no evidence that Hannah was awake. 
There's no evidence that Hannah even saw Allison. Uh, Allison could just be like lurking around the hospital for whatever purposes of her own. Uh, so I, yeah, I, and, and also if Hannah even said like, well, I was really out of it and I wasn't sure if she was real or not, I feel like that would be a completely plausible explanation. But at this point, the liars are just so traumatized. And I mean, with good reason, because the police are constantly acting like anything they do is just evidence that they've been involved in one crime or another. Um, but yeah, the, the, the existence of this picture uh, does, does not seem to me like it's the smoking gun uh, that we're supposed to believe it is. I feel like it would have worked way better if, if A had presented some evidence about them killing Shauna, for example, a much more recent and like emotionally driven situation. Yes, I, it seemed like a very odd choice to me to go with this thing from season one of all time periods that, like you say, do doesn't really seem as high stakes as other things that they've been involved with. Well, and we saw a uh, we saw a folding a candy striper outfit in the at the end of the last episode. And I was like, oh, I think that's going to I think that a wears the candy striper outfit, maybe when eventually uh Cyrus is in the hospital, but like, I felt like seeing that in the last episode, this could actually be staged. Like, we don't even really know that this is an authentic picture. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so over at the brew, we see a little sign that tells us that both the business and the building are for sale as Emily brings two decaf coffees covered in whipped cream over, uh, for her and Spencer to drink. Uh, they are both kind of in not a great place here. Emily is wondering if that message was from A or Allison or A pretending to be Allison Spencer pitches, which I'm glad that they're finally entertaining the idea that somebody could be somebody that, that A could be pretending to be somebody else, which seems like something that never occurs to them. Um, Allison calls Spencer and Spencer rejects the call. And oh my goodness, they're actually going to talk about Emerson. Wow. Like sound the alarm, everybody. It's actually sort of happening. Uh, Spencer asks if Emily is okay, since she was the one who hung in with Allie all, uh, for the longest. Uh, Emily mentions that she was defending an idea of Allison, maybe somebody who never even existed. Uh, and what she had with Paige was so genuine. Spencer asks if she can fix it. Uh, Emily really isn't so sure. We learn that Allison has been taken out of town by her dad uh, in the wake of the kidnapper being released. Emily plays with her whipped cream a little bit as she also rejects a call from Allison. Uh, I really like this scene a lot. I like the liars getting to actually talk about their relationships. I like that Spencer always seems to be the one who ends up talking about Emerson with either Allison or Emily. Um, I do find it funny that Emily, I, it's not surprising, but that Emily is basically uh, treating dating like a game of musical chairs. And it's like, well, if Allison isn't a sure thing, guess I'll go back over to Paige. Uh, none of the reasons that we broke up matter anymore after all this time that has passed. Well, I feel like this is exactly what you've always said in that the relationship with Allison was like the relationship that was like it existed as a fantasy. She had never had it. And so she had never yeah. like come up against the problems that occur in it. And now if she has and she's like, 
oh, these problems are terrible. These problems are much worse than the problems I had with Paige. And so now she's just doing this, the grass is always greener thing where she's like, yeah. well, now that I'm not with Paige anymore, I think that was totally amazing. And we never had any problems, which is just like, oh, oh, Emily, go oh. to therapy. Oh, sweet, sweet Emily. And also like, Emily, it's okay to be single too. Like, and like look on yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yes. Also, a great point. Spemily is really cute here, though. Um, I feel like if if it doesn't work out with either Paige or Allison, uh, I do feel like Spencer would make Emily a perfectly good wife. Oh, I agree. Like it does feel like there there are definitely a few Spencer scenes in this episode where it's like Spencer. The solution clearly is to just start dating your friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent agree. Uh, so Hannah is moving through a dark landscape, but no worries. It is just the not fishing bros cabin where Caleb is asleep slash passed out in an armchair. She shakes his shoulder to wake him up and he starts awake kind of flailing uh, in the air at her. She asks him what's going on and then finds a hilariously not vodka shaped bottle that is nonetheless labeled vodka because the props department for this bender is determined that these new drinking troubles are brought to you by glass bottles of beer and flat plastic bottles of vodka. Anyway, like Caleb goes, Caleb goes to like some kind of like hipster boutique bottle situation store where they just have like <laughs> like he's the going weirdest. To- the weirdest delivery systems for your alcohol that are possible to get like that. That's what he's doing. I want to see him carrying around like a Mason jar of moonshine or something. Like it's like a weird <laughs> fillery or something. <laughs> well, like this bottle, like when Hannah first picks it up, I was like, Oh man, the props department is awful. But later Caleb is waving it around. So it's not like you only see it one time. Like it recurs several times and it's just like, Oh no. Um, So, uh, Hannah (laughs) thought they had a deal. Uh, Caleb uses weasel words, saying it wasn't so much a deal as an understanding. Oh, man, the mental gymnastics these boyfriends go through to justify breaking promises. Uh, He says it helps him sleep. Hannah asks why he can't sleep. And instead of engaging with her, he deflects and asks why she isn't at the police station. Hannah goes through the latest round of A, cutting them off at the pass, She laments that no matter what, they're always back where they started. Then she tells Caleb he should go ahead and have a drink. She won't stop him. And then majestically, she sweeps out. There are a few lines in this episode that feel like a real sort of meta commentary on the show itself and on the fan base. And we always end up back where we started is definitely one of them. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Hannah and Aria have a real meta exchange. (laughs) Yes. That I'm very. sure we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah, it's true. There definitely do seem to be, um, there There does seem to be a running thread of talking about the show without saying they're talking about the show. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of the way Hannah is dealing with Caleb here? Well, I give Hannah credit for trying to talk to him. Um, yeah. She's asking, like, she is asking open-ended questions and he just doesn't want to engage. And I appreciate Hannah's frustration with his behavior. And I think it's I think it's fine. I think it's fine 
that she leaves, I feel like she should probably have this conversation with him at a point when neither of them have been drinking. But then again, is, is there a time when Caleb hasn't been drinking? We don't really know. Yeah, and the show continues to be so sort of like weird and weaselly about addiction talk too, where it's like, well, Caleb doesn't have a drinking problem. He has a Ravenswood problem, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Anyway, uh, Prezra is at home when who should knock on his door but one Emily Fields. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Do you want me to take this next little part because that was so short? Oh, oh, yes. Go right ahead. So Aria also arrives home in a leopard print coat to find Mona. Uh, Just the picture of innocence in a cozy sweater, tutoring her brother over some hot chocolate. Aria clearly is not happy to see this sight, uh, especially when uh, Mona refers to Oppenheimer as dreamy. Uh, And as Mona goes to fetch more hot chocolate, uh, Aria just kind of glares at everybody. Yeah, I love that Mona is wearing a sweatshirt with an ice cream cone on it here and just could not be any sweeter. She's calling Mike Mr. Mike, and she's offering hot cocoa to Aria, who does not want any, who just wants to stomp away and think about how hard it is to be a single parent. Yeah, it's 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 hard. It's hard, you know. Aria's got a lot on her plate right now. <laughs> Uh, So Emily is meeting with Fitz to explain about Cyrus and to ask him to track down what he can. Uh, They go through the list of possible scenarios, still not including like the pretty obvious and correct one that Allison paid him off. Uh, And Prezra has the nerve to say he doesn't know much about the time that Allison was gone. It's a blank. And Emily being Emily does not call him out on the fact that he was busy spying on all of her friends during that time. Um, But he benevolently agrees to see what he can find out. And thanks for trusting him. Emily says that she came to him because he's the only one who might be able to get her the info she needs. Um, She gives him one of the uh, photos that they got from Noel. And then he thanks her for her honesty. Oh, what a manipulative creep. Um, But one of the things that I think is interesting, like one of the only interesting elements of this episode is we're going to see opinion swing in an important way on Ezra in the Prezra in this episode. Um, Aria has been kind of like unsure, but like leaning towards getting back together with him, with forgiving him. Um, Spencer helped him once, but is still like not really cool with him. Emily going to him for help, that's like, that's like almost a majority, like you have two liars now, Aria and Emily, who mm-hmm. are back in Fitz's corner. And so that is going to like kind of plow down any resistance that other people might have about still working with him. Uh, similarly, we're going to see uh, that when Aria kind of swings a little bit on Mona, now we have Hannah and Aria who are like more pro-Mona. And that is going to lead to the Mona alliance that we see coming up in uh, taking this one to the grave. Good point. Good point. I also feel like, so Emily shows Prezra these pictures. Prezra's like, I don't know anything about this. That whole time is a blank. That's sort of the end of the conversation, right? Like, it's like this idea that somehow Prezra, I mean, I, I get that he does eventually end up helping her, but it sort of feels like, 
what she wanted was the info. He says he doesn't have the info. We're done. Right, right. I mean, of course he's lying because he's present well, and his mouth is moving. But right. yes, I agree. It's a weird note to end on. And it's weird that it like turns into them work like that this is the beginning of them working together and not like the end of the discussion. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so but I do think that's a good point about the um about the alliances and yet another frustrating time when the show is like drawing a line between Mona and Prezra. Yes. Um, so back at the Montgomery house, Byron is suddenly like around to be a dad again now that Ella's off like sobbing in a hotel room or whatever. Um, he goes to check in with Aria, who says that she thinks that Mike and Mona are a bad idea. Uh, Byron understands that Arya has a complicated history with Mona, but he points out that, you know, if if they try to push Mike away from her, then she's just going to double down. Papa Byron talking to Mama Arya here about keeping their eye on the situation between Mike and Mona, which you know is the exact conversation that transpired between uh, Byron and Ella when Arya and Fitz were starting up. We lo- Go ahead. I was just to say this whole conversation is Byron being like, ah, how can we bother to parent? We tell our kids not to do something, they'll just want to do it more. So we might as well just kick back, work on our fedoras. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's what's kind of hilarious is it's like Arya is, Arya is like being invited into the inner sanctum of the parenting that has been going on with her this whole time. And it is simply to not parent. It's simply to be like, we will we'll observe our kids. We'll just kind of see what happens. I'm not too concerned. Like, if Mike wants to run into a you know a burning building, like who can who can blame him? He has to get burned if to to find out for sure. Um, yeah, it's such an odd it's such an odd choice, and it's like just the way that Arya is the third parent in this family, and sometimes only the only parent in this family is really. Really bizarre. Uh, We learn that there is this event coming up that all four of the Montgomerys will be at. Byron has gotten his fedora reblocked. So you know he means business. Well, and in terms of Byron's idea that, like, there's just there's just nothing we can do. There's just it's not even worth attempting. Um, I really disagree with that. One of the things you could do is you could say Mona has a really complicated history with Arya. Aria lives here and needs to feel safe in her home. Mike is free to date Mona and spend whatever time with her he wants. But Mona is not like, you can't have Mona over to the house. Like, I feel like that would be an extremely reasonable boundary for the Montgomery family to draw. But this is the Montgomerys and they don't do boundaries. Right, right. Or even having a conversation with Mike about like, you know, about Mona. Like, it seems like Mm -hmm. nobody has talked to Mike about this at all. Nope. Nope. Why bother? Nope. Nope. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the liars are walking and talking near the lockers. Uh, They agree that there's no chance of breaking Mike and Mona up, but also that Mike deserves better. Hannah reveals to everyone that she has had a bad thought. A keeps playing the game because they want to see the liars suffer. She bats down an annoying suggestion that this could be Mona and proposes that it could be Allison. Uh, Spencer agrees that is a bad thought. 
The other liars peel off for class, leaving Hannah and Spencer alone. Hannah asks Spencer for the number of sober coach Dean. Not for her, she specifies, for Caleb. Spencer, um, for her own reasons, uh, is not interested in helping in the way that Hannah is requesting, but she suggests someone else who can perhaps talk to him and get through to Cable, Caleb instead, or at least give him a hand job. whichever. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's Toby. Oh, well, it's so funny because Spencer has this line where she's like, you can't just introduce him to a stranger and say, let's talk about addiction. Which is exactly how Spencer met sober coach Dean, who allegedly helped her. Uh, it's like, what, what, I, yeah, there's there's a lot of rewriting history going on here. Well, and also, like, that's absolutely how Alcoholics Anonymous works. Like, <laughs> you go to, like, right. a room full of strangers. But, yeah, so they, be that as it may. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like the... The big revelation, like, oh, my God, Allison and A, maybe the same person. Like, isn't this an idea we've entertained, <laughs> like, half a dozen times before? No, it is fresh and new and has just occurred today. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, also, Hannah, nobody is better than Mona. Like, oh, So true. <sighs> Hannah just doesn't want them to be together because she would like to have Mona for herself. I think I that's believe. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. I completely agree. Um, Emily and Paige are sitting in a picnic bench, catching up about all things Sydney and swim team. Paige has a really good queer look here, I think. Um, but Emily says that she is happy to keep an eye on Sydney, which I was wondering at this point, like, how much does Paige know about the whole Sydney thing? Like, does she know that Emily saw Sydney and Jenna dressed in identical clothes? Like recently, like, does she know that Sydney, like, maybe, you know, tried to get information out of Hannah about New York? I don't think Paige knows about New York. It's that classic, like, we don't really worry about what the significant others know or don't know. Like, we don't really want to get into that. Um, so Emily likes being back in the locker room, but things between them are hashtag complicated. Emily wants to talk. Paige can't tonight. Uh, poor Paige. Like, I feel like this whole storyline would work better if Paige had been around more. Emily stares off at her. I think it's supposed to be wistfully. Um, it's just, it just kind of sucks to be Paige. Cause it's like Emily always wants her when she can't have her. And then when they're actually together, Emily's completely disinterested. Man, I want to throw something at the screen. Every time we have a scene of two characters who are talking in this scene about how they need to talk later at a different point. Like, what on earth is preventing you from saying whatever it is you need to say here and now? Who knows? The script. That's all. It's because they're hashtag complicated and hashtag haunted. Oh, my goodness. Um, also, I am going to give a queer look alert to Emily's extremely, I'm not sure if this is a really short skirt that she's wearing or just short shorts, uh, but she has athletic socks that she's wearing up to the knee, uh, which is yeah. a, a super queer look, I feel. Agree. Agree. Um, so Spencer is on the phone with Tobey, chatting with him about how, is he officer or cadet Toby now? Uh, which this is a clunker. <laughs> yeah, your face that you're making right now about this line. Uh, and then she has to pretend that she likes cadet. I don't know. I don't know why they wanted <laughs> to say the word cadet so many times. 
I don't know why they need to say, I don't know why every episode has to have like New York, New York, New York uh, happening <laughs> at least once. Uh, the writing. <laughs> blue scarf, blue scarf. The, the, yeah, like the writing is, is, is really uh, doing like a bingo here. But uh, so today the word of the day is cadet, which she says a bunch of times for no reason. Um, can he come over to talk about Caleb? Uh, it'll be easier if he comes in person. It's always easier when he's there. Uh, Hannah looks like she's having a twinge of jealousy over a relationship where the other person makes things easier for you. But don't worry, Hannah, that's just Spencer's projection. Her relationship is actually horrible as well. Um, <laughs> Once she's off the phone, she tells Hannah that Toby will work his magic. There's nothing like the power of a bromance. CF that hand job I mentioned earlier. Uh, then they find a letter hidden behind Spencer's door. It's from Melissa saying that she had to leave. Peter is driving her to the airport, but Spencer will know everything soon. She promises. Um, Spencer and Hannah wonder why Peter would have insisted on Melissa leaving so suddenly. Yeah, and this is another bit of weirdness where it's like, oh, this door that's behind, <laughs> oh, this letter that's behind the door that Spencer hasn't seen until she hangs up her coat. Like, it's like a little bit of a hat on a hat. Um, also, I feel like this is some weird, like, exhibitionist fantasy of Spencer's that, like, Hannah has to sit on her bed and, like, listen to Spencer have phone sex with Toby. Cadet Toby. Cadet <laughs> Toby. Also, Hannah has a very queer look here. Like, she's wearing, like, a cut-off t-shirt. Um, we're still, like, we're still kind of, like, slowly moving out of bad girl Hannah phase in the clothing department. Yeah. Yeah, well, plus, I mean, it is a it is an automatic queer look for the fact that Hannah is sitting on Spencer's bed. Yes. Yeah, like, overhearing Spencer's almost phone sex. It's, like, a weird, it's, like, a weird situation. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes, it is. Also, speaking of the, like, the letter behind the door... Um, the other hilarious thing is so they have like they have Melissa sending Spencer all these messages like there's this letter behind the door that I don't even really know that we need to have we could just get the package that Melissa sends later in this episode uh, but like I mean Melissa's doing everything short of like sending a telegram uh, <laughs> to like secretly communicate with her sister yeah well and then oh my god then the scene with the with the with the package it's like the doorbell is not working so you have to go <laughs> using the, so the many front, words the front doorbell isn't working in which case you would think that they would just like leave you a note saying they'll be back <laughs> it's like why are we using so many words to get to this thing i don't know they obviously just had like some minutes left that they needed to like burn into this episode as evidenced by the fact that they played the melissa video like three times <laughs> Oh, man. So the liars are walking in town. Uh, the liars sans Spencer. Uh, Hannah is sort of filling the other liars in on the contents of the letter, saying that Spencer should know everything soon. And then we have the aforementioned very meta exchange where Hannah says, nobody tells you anything when you want to know it, only when they feel like telling it. To which Arya replies, and then they only tell you enough to make you crazy to know more. This scene has, like, everything short of, like, everybody, like, winking at the camera <laughs> and, like, having a little, you know, heart love Marlene, like, posted at the bottom. Uh, we learn that nobody has talked to Allison. 
Hannah is having more bad thoughts. Uh, this one being that maybe Allison made a deal with A so that she could leave town. Uh, before the liars can spiral too much further on that bad thought, Tanner walks up just then wanting to talk. Oh my goodness. Um, it's so funny that they have this, like they do this meta line in there about how, oh, they never tell you enough. They never tell you when you want to know. He, he, he. But it's, this is similar to like when they turn the shower on and Sarah Harvey is dead. Like, who are you making fun of? Yourselves? <laughs> like, if you are aware that this is a problem, if you are aware enough to put it in as a joke, I would perhaps suggest you devote your efforts to fucking fixing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I almost felt like this was... Um... This was them trying to be like, oh, we're doing it on purpose, everybody, you know, like, which is sort of even more ridiculous and and frustrating. And it's also just to me, it's such an indicator of like how. Like how kind of weird and toxic the, the show's relationship with the fandom was at this point, like, because I, I do feel like there there was a certain point where like the writers sort of allowed themselves to be held captive by like the shipper audience. And like, that's just what they were writing to. And, you know, it was so much about like, where are answers, Marlene, where are answers, Marlene. And Marlene would be promising, like, you're going to get an answer in the next episode. Like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And it was just like this weird kind of resentful feedback loop between uh, audience and, and writers. And so I feel like this is very much an indicator of that, this line that they put in there. Yeah, man, I just feel like if you think it's really funny, like if you think the height of humor is like hitting yourself over the head with a two by four, like, okay, I mean, I don't find that funny, but if it makes you feel amused, like you do you, but the next thing is that you're going to feel like it's funny to hit me over the head with a two by four. And that's where, I, and that's where we're heading. I feel yes. like. right now they're like, they're doing it to themselves, but like they are going to be doing it to me for the rest of the run of the show. And not really here for it. Um, yeah. The other thing I want to point out in this scene is just that uh, when they're talking about, has anybody talked to Allison? Aria says she calls, but I don't pick up. And remember the last time we saw Allison, how she was really upset about like what's going on between Hannah and Aria. No one is telling me anything. Like we always talk about how Aria is on a different show, but like, yeah. let's just appreciate how successfully Aria has divorced herself from Allison. Like, yeah. I was going to go back and try to look at, like, the last time the two of them were in a scene together, even. And I think it was at the end of the episode where Allie admits that she hired Noel uh, to, to come to the Marin house with a knife. So it's it's been some time. Yeah, and it's like Arya has kind of achieved the thing that the other liars have really struggled with, which is creating that separation from Allison. Which is why it would make so much more sense if they're thinking Allison is A to have Allison becoming for to have A becoming for Arya regarding the Shauna stuff. Agreed. Oh, totally agreed. It's so weird how they just kind of drop that. Ugh, get us. Well, that's what I said about like the show doesn't know what the mystery is right now. Is it that the liars are trying to get away with what happened with Shauna? Is it that they're trying to find out who actually killed Bethany Young. Is it why was Bethany Young dressed like Allison? Is it yeah. who is A? 
is it what's going on with Cyrus? Like the show just has all these irons in the fire and it can't really decide which one is the mystery that it's interested in solving. Well, you know, you made a really great point um, when we were talking about um, the episode March of Crimes, I think, that where Noel's under the sheet, <laughs> that whole scene. <laughs> and you made a good point about how, like, in the post-time jump, the show treats the dollhouse as just on the same level as, like, any other crime. And so it's like, yeah, Noel was involved in the dollhouse, but, like, that doesn't make him super evil, Noel. It's just, like, one of those things, you know? And I feel like that's kind of what's going on with all of the mysteries at this point, where it's like everything is on equal footing. So Arya killing Shauna is like equal to, you know, like Melissa leaving town, which is equal to Allison calling Noel to come scare everybody in the house. Like it's like everything, all crimes, it's like all all sins are created equal here <laughs> on PLL land. That's a really good, that's a really good point. They consider all of them to be interchangeable because they're all just a plot point. Right. And they're all just an obstacle in some way. Never mind that like one is, you know, taking a human life and one is like paying somebody to wave a knife around in the kitchen. <laughs> That's a really good point. That is a really good extenuation of that point for sure. Oh, so you uh, <laughs> at Spencer's Palace of Obligatory Heteronormativity, she and Cadet Toby are making out while she talks about what a good authority figure he's going to be. This is another this is another point where I feel like if you know what you're saying, is that better or worse? Not sure. It's gross. Uh, then they talk about where all the other Hastings are. Peter is staying in his club. Melissa's in the wind. And then they circle back to Caleb. Spencer wants Toby to talk to him about his drinking. Toby is reluctant at first, but then Spencer has like a little mini monologue where she talks about how Caleb seems lately different in little ways. And there's a word that she thinks of when she sees him and they like do this whole buildup. And of course the word is fucking hashtag haunted. Uh, this <laughs> whole discussion, like this whole discussion, the way that Spencer like is so perceptive uh, based on the limited interactions that she's had with Caleb this season, she's like this perceptive about what's going on with him, like in a way that even Hannah really doesn't seem to be. Like this is really further proof that Spalib is genuinely the ship with the best chance of overall success at this point, or maybe fishing bros, because Toby agrees he has seen that look on Caleb's face too, ever since he got back from Ravenswood. Oh my God. Oh, uh, like, first of all, the way that both Hannah and Spencer are like approaching conversations with their boyfriends, like their kids asking their parents if they can borrow the car is really weird to me where it's like, oh, like, are you going to like broach the subject with Toby? Like, it's like, if he's your boyfriend, you should just be able to talk to him, you know? Um, also, LOL at Toby asking where everyone is as though this house is normally bustling with people like nobody's <laughs> ever here. Um, and just, yeah, the buildup, you know, it's a word that's lost all meaning at this point, but it means <laughs> like, I would that's not another, that's another shitty writing thing where they're like a word that's lost all meaning <laughs> at this point, because we've been throwing it around Twitter. <laughs> like, 
like a hot potato for like literally six months at this point. It's it's literally the show being like, we know this sounds stupid, guys. We know this sounds real dumb. But he's hashtag haunted. And I mean, again, Troyan is doing her best here. She's doing her best with the lead up to haunted, playing opposite the block of wood and abs that is Keegan. So she's she's trying. She's really trying. She is really trying. Also, was I don't know if Toby was ever like a guest star on Ravenswood, but like they kind of make it seem like Toby has like some connection to Ravenswood too somehow that like doesn't doesn't really track well he went there with spencer that like one an time afternoon. he was a tourist he was <laughs> oh we will get there we will get there he was a tourist man he was, oh. he was like going into a shop and buying like a ravenswood <laughs> snow globe that just had like a bunch of fireflies in it and then he brought it back and gave it to jenna yeah, and she like yeah. loving her right off the bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> so Tanner is sitting down with the liars, uh, announcing that she plan that they plan to catch Cyrus and inviting them to tell the police everything. No detail is too insignificant. She gets up and walks away and then pulls the classic Columbo move of spinning on her heel with just one more question. Who do they think killed Bethany Young? The liars kind of squirm under her gaze, and Tanner says, well, you must have thought about it. Arya replies that she hasn't given it much thought, which, honestly, probably true. Uh, Tanner says that she hasn't been able to find any connection between the liars and Bethany, other than the proximity uh, of the fact that Bethany was killed very close to where the liars were on that night. Girls are different from when I was your age, Tanner (laughs) muses to herself. Uh, as she walks away, surprised by their lack of curiosity. Arya's going to be sick. Emily tells her to wait until Tanner's out of sight. I love Hannah just, like, putting a hand on Arya's shoulder. Um, I gotta say, another highlight of this very strange episode is Tanner, and specifically Roma Mafia's performance, because she is also just, like, doing the most and chewing all of the scenery. (laughs) that I find very entertaining. I mean, yeah, she was taking them out for coffee, but she was, like, chewing the scenery for, like, the whole town. My goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah. No scenery left unchewed. No. Teeth marks absolutely everywhere. Um, So Spencer and Hannah are on the phone. Hannah is calling with the news that Tanner thinks they killed Bethany Young. Spencer with the instructions for Hannah to get Caleb to the grill at 730 for the Toby mention. Spencer is mildly worried about the Tanner angle, but puts off dealing with it until after the Caleb thing is handled. While they're on the phone, Spencer has Toby sign for a package, which turns out to have been sent by Melissa from the Philadelphia airport. Um, So again, this is a lot. We have like, oh, the front doorbell is broken. The delivery man has conveniently come around to the back and Toby is going to have to open the door and, and deal with this. Um, There's just a lot, there's like a lot going on here. They're really trying to get from not even just point A to point B, but like from A to point B, C, and D uh, here in this scene. Right. Well, also like 
Hannah weirdly kind of recaps the scene we just saw to Spencer, yes. <laughs> like practically verbatim. It's like, no, we 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 get that. Like Tanner thinks that you're involved with Bethany. Like we get it, Hannah. I mean, all that needs to happen is that Spencer needs to get the flash drive. Like, that's all. Like, because we could just assume that the liars are going to tell Spencer about the Tanner thing. And if we just saw Spencer and Hannah and the guys at the grill, we would assume that they made a plan to meet up there. So, like, neither of these things is wildly necessary. The only thing we need is for Spencer to get the flash drive. And she could have gotten the flash drive in the scene where she found the letter behind the door. So, like, nothing that happens here... (laughs) is actually required, I feel. I agree. I agree. Um, So Toby actually, like, does a surprising thing where he offers for Spencer to watch this video alone, which is, like, I feel like that's, like, a level of respect for Spencer's boundaries that Toby doesn't usually exhibit. Uh, So I guess hats off to him for doing the most, which is really the least. Um, Spencer goes to watch Melissa's video and we see this is the video that we saw just at the end of the last sort of beginning at the end of the last episode. Uh, Melissa sitting in front of the camera telling Spencer that she has to say the truth before it is too late. She is going back to England at Peter's suggestion. He wants them to keep quiet. But Melissa says that she can't leave Spencer. Not again. And then we do this kind of cool visual thing where Uh, It looks like now Melissa and Spencer are standing in the same room, Spencer standing on one side of the camera and Melissa sitting in a chair. Uh, Melissa tells Spencer that she can do what she wants with the truth. Maybe it'll help and maybe it won't. And then she walks us through this sort of half flashback, half, you know, her telling us this story of that night uh, when she saw Spencer the night Allison disappeared After the fight, she saw Spencer walking with a shovel in her hand. Uh, Melissa has a great line where she says, it felt like everyone who ever made the mistake of touching Allie was there that night. What's that line from The Tempest? This island is full of noises. Uh, Then things get a little less believable because Melissa apparently saw a body, saw the girl in the yellow top, thought that Spencer had killed her and she didn't want anyone to know. She just wanted to protect Spencer So she pushed the girl in the grave and she covered her up and she never told anyone and she never looked at the face. Uh, But now she knows that it was in fact a stranger and she buried her alive because she thought she was protecting Spencer. Our family has a gift for self-preservation, Melissa says. But there's a point when you go from survivor to predator and I guess that's what happened to us. Goodbye, Spencer. I love you. Um, This is such an interesting thing because as a character beat for Melissa and for her relationship with Spencer. I actually have always loved this. This feels like a great um, way to kind of tie up a lot of the loose ends of Melissa as a character in the early seasons, her weird animosity, but also sort of odd loyalty towards Spencer. Um, All of the ways in which she was so resentful of Spencer, constantly thinking she had, you know, the worst of intentions when in fact she was actually protecting her. But as a character note for somebody who is supposed to be as smart as Melissa, the whole, oops, I didn't look at the face and I accidentally buried someone alive thing, eh, it's a little hard to swallow. Yes, yes, uh, definitely agree. I like the way that this is shot initially with Spencer's face being reflected in the computer screen as we see Melissa's face as she's confessing. 
because I, I like it when the show like does the reflections of identity and the mm. way in which like they're so similar and so different um Spencer and her sister and then I like that it shifts and later you see Spencer like she's standing behind the video camera as Melissa is telling the story um it does get a little like it's getting a little hat on a hat when we then within the videotaped confession that Spencer is imagining herself standing in front of then we get the blue tinged flashback to like the shovel dragging and everything like that's getting a little bit much and also what is Melissa doing in the bushes that's a perfect example of a thing that's not explained I'm assuming she's lurking there post makeout with Cece but that's never really stated or or understood or anything like that um so yeah there's there's a lot going on here the thing that I just find completely unbelievable is that Melissa would not check for a pulse on this body. I would even, I would even give them, I didn't look at the face. I do believe you would assume it was Allison if you saw her laying in Allison's yard, dressed in Allison's clothes with a cascade of blonde hair. Like, okay, I'll give that you thought it was Allison, but that you wouldn't check for a pulse before you just tossed someone into a shallow grave. Um, that's a lot. Yes, yes, it it really it really is quite a lot. Um, and that right that you'd even have to like, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, it just doesn't make much sense. It just doesn't pull well together. And I mean, like Spencer is doing like Troyan is doing her most with this, and I I will say that Tori Devito is also doing her most. Like they're selling the heck out of this uh, in terms oh, of the emotional beats of it. Um, for sure, but they are they are trying to carry the weight as best they can in this scene. Yeah, and I, it's tough because it's like I feel like PLL so often the plot points and the mystery points don't hold together, so you sort of just have to hold on to the character moments because it's yeah. like that's, oh, that's all so you true. got, yeah. you know. And so I sort of this is one of those things where I'm like, if you think about it for two seconds, it doesn't make any sense. But if you if you think about it from a character perspective and from this being this thing that transpired between these two sisters, I can kind of get into it. I can kind of accept this as part of the lore. Well, okay. Yeah, I, I agree. And when we all have to. We have no choice but to accept it at, at this point because this is what the show did. But I feel like it, it's just sort of lazy writing that they didn't address that. Like, I know they sure. wanted to make it like, oh, Melissa was in a hurry. But, like, they could have had it be anything. They could have had it be, like, I heard someone else coming and I had to act so quickly. Or it could be, like, I, I tried to check for a pulse, but I didn't want my fingerprints to be on the body. Or it could be, like, I checked for a pulse and I didn't feel one, but I'm, you know, like, I'm not a doctor. Like, you know, there are just so many other things uh, that they could have tried to do to, like, get around that. But they just didn't, they didn't care. Right. Yeah, it would have taken one line and it, and yeah, and they could have kind of sewed that up. Um, and it's also a weird thing, too, where it's like there are so many deaths on PLL that happen. And people know who committed the crime, but like nobody really faces any real repercussions for it. Like Aria and Shauna, for example, uh, uh, Melissa and this girl. Um, there are so many moments like that where it's like. to give the character to make the character like less culpable and for some reason you didn't you know like yeah well and the show 
the show basically operates on the premise that if you didn't have a bad intention, like Melissa yeah. didn't have a bad intention here. And like, you know, uh, Aria didn't have a bad intention when she knocked Shauna down. Like, if you don't have a bad intention, they're really not going to make you be accountable in any way. I agree. And I actually think a more satisfying way to wrap this storyline up would have been. So obviously they had the whole thing where Melissa told Peter about all of this when they realized that Allison was still alive. And then that's why Peter was acting so weird, uh, you know, post post Allie is alive reveal. But what if Peter had been in on it from the start? What if, what if maybe even Peter didn't want Melissa to cover up Spencer's crime? He was maybe willing to throw Spencer under the bus. Um, and Melissa insisted, and that's why she was rushing so much and didn't check. Or she called Peter. Peter felt the pulse, knew she was alive, but had them bury her anyway. I think sure. that is something that Peter would definitely be capable of. Yeah, yeah. And because it... It feels really weird that it's like Peter's been acting like they're in this together, but he's theoretically only known for like a couple of weeks or something, you know, <laughs> I, I think it would make a lot more sense considering like considering how shady Peter's always been and how he was like, you know, we, we bury, you know, we bury the dead and we move on Spencer like Ian's in a grave I paid for like all of that stuff. I think it would make a lot more sense if Peter was somewhat in on this from the start. Also, talk about the clunky lines in this episode. Uh, I do, I do want to call out. Um, uh, he's been wanting me to go back since I told him what I told him in the police station the night you were gone. Like Spencer was not there at the police station. She wasn't in Rosewood. She didn't see you whisper anything to Peter Hastings. That was us, the audience. So why do you need to, like, explain that specifically to Spencer? It's just like, <laughs> I can't. I just can't. Oh, I know. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's bad. It's bad. It's, yeah, so. <laughs> in case you've been wondering about this thing that you didn't see me do when you weren't in town, <laughs> now I'm going to tell you about it. Does everybody understand? <laughs> Folks at home, for the folks playing along at home, do you get it now? Yeah, no, I know. There's like a lot of that in this episode. There really is. There is. And I love, I feel like this, this scene is like the indelible scene of the episode of Melissa. Like, and you know, I like that at the end, they're both crying. They're both like, you know, they're, they're both obviously in their feelings about it. And I like that Melissa says, I love you at the end. Cause you yeah. don't ever... Like, there was that that famous Melissa and Spencer scene where Melissa says, if it came down to it, if you had to choose between someone you love and me, who yeah. would you choose? And so I, I like that Melissa is, like, putting it out there and saying, like, you know, you're my sister, and I do love you, and I try to protect you as best I could. Yes. And it always felt really right to me that Melissa was involved in well, what we used to think was Allison's death and then later became Bethany's death because it always felt to me like Ian in his weird way was sort of trying to cover up Melissa's crime rather than his own crime. Um, and so, well, also his own crime because he committed a lot of crimes. But um, 
Yeah, so I like that. I like Melissa's involvement in that. And I like that it becomes this complicated thing where it's not just like Melissa was evil and snapped and killed Bethany. It's that Melissa thought she was protecting Spencer. Yeah. And like you said, from a character standpoint, I have no problem with that. Well, and it also, I also really like it from the standpoint of, you know, that they had hired that, the Hastings had hired that PI. And at one point they thought it was, Spencer thought it was to investigate Melissa. And then at another point, Spencer thought it was to investigate her. And I like that it ends up being that they, like, what what everybody believed is that they were both involved. Right. right you know? Right, right. Yeah. Whew. So, at the grill, Spencer is drinking water and not especially present as she tries to deal with Melissa's confession internally. Hannah is giving Toby very detailed instructions about how to best approach the Caleb situation. They're going to wait for the right moment. She's going to kick him under the table. There's going to be like this, you know, like Hannah actually wants to go into this situation with a plan to better ensure their chances of success. But Toby doesn't listen to women. So (laughs) as soon as Caleb arrives, Toby's like, hey, bro, here you're having trouble sleeping. What's up with that? Hannah's worried about you and Spencer, too, and also me. Uh, Hannah's scared. Do you want her to stay scared? And, like, Toby is talking in a loud voice in the middle of this restaurant. Like, what a public arena in which to engage in this, Toby. Sheesh. God, I just hate this. I hate this so much. I hate I hate that he goes against the game plan. I hate that he speaks for Hannah, that he tells Caleb, this is what your little lady is going through. Like, that was not part of the game plan. And it's just, it's, and he's also really dismissive to Hannah at the beginning of this scene when she's trying to go through. He's like, don't overthink it, Hannah. Um, also, like, poor Spencer. Like, she's just been through this whole thing. Now she has to go to this Caleb dinner. Like, it's 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 awkward. It's very awkward. Also, I feel like this is the level of awkwardness that like in the post series when these two couples get together, this is how <laughs> awkward all of their dinner parties are going to be. Oh man. Well, you know, Hannah loves an awkward dinner party, so I hope that Pam Fields is cooking. <laughs> Hannah knows what Hannah means. <laughs> Um, so over at the brew that is having some kind of, so I was confused by this. It's having like a, a movie event, but is the movie event, okay, so the movie It's event, not at the brew, it's at a movie theater, because there are at, like lighted steps and, you know, seats and a big screen and a projector. But doesn't Emily have a line that she's like, I'm helping out because of the event tonight? Well, I assume that meant that someone who worked at the brew wanted to go. Oh, that makes more sense. I was thinking that they were saying that, like, she was helping out because it was extra busy because of the event happening at the brew. Well, no, I mean, it doesn't make sense that Emily would be helping out due to any kind of event because Emily being (laughs) at her job is no guarantee of anything being done. (laughs) Yes. Okay. All right. That, yeah. That makes that makes that makes more sense. I yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So anyway, Emily is at the brew when she's not supposed to be at the brew. She's looking like as rumpled as we've ever seen Emily, which is just like, you know, a like slightly askew t-shirt and like a slightly sloppy ponytail. Like it's still Shay Mitchell, so And she has like a rag. Like they, yes. they've given her they've given her a rag to indicate that she's sort of a Cinderella downtrodden 
person in in this moment. Yeah, and she's like holding a a tub of like <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the prop department has given her a rag and a tub to, <laughs> to you know just to conjure up this uh, yes exactly <laughs> and. And who should be there at the brew when Emily walks out but Paige McCullers, dressed to the nines, looking like, looking, okay, looking so much better than she looked in the actual noir episode. Like, I don't know what was going on with the styling in that episode. I don't know if they just, like, couldn't figure out what lesbianism looked like in the 1940s. But Paige looks awesome here. I mean, it's not really, a like, something you'd expect Paige to wear, but, like, it's, like, black dress, big curls. She's clearly, you know, dressed to the nines and going out. It's super awkward. She has to go. Uh, And Emily, like, stares after her longingly as Paige, you know, sort of pages her way out of there, which is to say leaves awkwardly. Yes. Um, Now, what do you think? Like, they have this exchange where Paige is like, I didn't think you worked this shift anymore. And Emily's like, I know, and I'm helping out. Um, Would you, if you were on a date with a new person, would you take a chance? Would you stop in a place where your dramatic ex-girlfriend works, regardless of what shift you thought she was on, while on a date with someone new? Is this a thing that you would do? That's the thing. This is not an accident. Like, he did not stumble into this. Yes, yes. Paige was like, I'm wearing my black dress, and I've got my hair all curly, and I'm just going to, she probably just, like, she probably got there, like, 20 minutes before. <laughs> just, like, lingering around, being like, hmm, Emily's around here anywhere. Yeah. This was, this was no accident. Yes, yes. Well, that's that's fine. I just wanted to call attention to the fact that I definitely think that Paige, like, Paige did this with uh, some forethought here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely she did. I think that's completely true. And I also, uh, just while we're, while we're making a list of our Hall of Fame clunker lines for this episode, <laughs> um, I just want to, like, the super strained back and forth where Emily's like, oh, are you going somewhere? And then she gestures at Paige's outfit. She's like, well, I mean, you must be going somewhere. And Paige is like, yes, indeed, I am going somewhere. And then goes somewhere. Like, <laughs> they say somewhere so many times. <laughs> you know, I, so I have this thing when I'm writing, I don't know if you have this, where like, I will sometimes do this thing where like I write a word And maybe it's, like, a word I don't use that often when I'm writing. And then I realize that, like, I've used it, like, three times in, like, the same page. And I'm, like, huh. Like, I guess my brain is just stuck on that word. And so then I, like, I get paranoid about that. And I'll, like, go back and read my writing and make sure. And it's, like, oh, yes, I did did use that word, like, more times than I meant to, you know. I feel like that's what's happening in these scripts. But, like, nobody's (laughs) going back and doing the checking to see if they actually Mm. use the word too many times. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, also, instead of it being like a really good word where you're like, oh, oops, I got really enamored of that word. This word is simply somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or New York or Blue Snarf. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. I want to super cut of all the times the liars do the new york routine in this season because it is a lot 
Right, right. It's you like you could do it like in the style of a New York tourism video where you like show the Statue of Liberty and you show like different landmarks and they're all like New York, New York, New York. Or like a like this like the song New York, New York, but it's just the liars. Like every time they say the word New York, it's a different shot of the liars. Like Liza singing in the background. All right. So inside the theater. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yes. This one's me. Sorry, everyone. Um, Aria Aria walks into the cinema where many people are holding programs and seem to be really dressed up. Uh, She arrives to find Byron in his fedora, Mike and Mona canoodling, and the only empty seat being at the end of the row next to Mona. Ella had to cancel. Aria is not pleased. Now, Byron should absolutely have alerted Aria in advance here. But if he was not able to do so, because who can be bothered to parent? I am going to propose that the bare minimum is that he could have arranged it so that he would be sitting between Mona and Aria. I understand you had to leave the aisle seat open for Aria because she was late and who knows if she's going to come in. Who knows if she's going to be having like a dozen jangly things on her person (laughs) while she like, you know, you don't want to have her like walking across everyone because her like, you know, she might be wearing feather wings or something that would bop everyone in the head. Like I get that, but you could still make sure that she doesn't have to sit next to Mona in this movie. Minimum. Oh, minimum. Agreed. Completely agree. Um, So Aria is very unhappy about this. Uh, She is just kind of sitting there uh, sending like, you know, staring daggers at Mike and Mona. Uh, And then she gets a new target for her glowering when Paige walks in with a blonde woman she is clearly on a date with who is not Emily. Wow, Arya is having major antagonistic homoerotic feelings here, and Strangers on a Train hasn't even started. Uh, <laughs> the lights go down, and the movie begins. I love how this scene ends. Like, this scene feels like it could end, like, ten seconds earlier, but they have to have Lucy Hale just sitting in the dark, shooting glares <laughs> around her, like, in a circle. Like, glaring at her dad, glaring at Mona, glaring at Paige, glaring back at Mona. <laughs> Um, what do we think about Paige being on a date with this nobody? Like, why didn't they have Paige be on a date? Like, I feel like there are so many people that Paige could have been on a date with here that would have been like, gasp. Like, she could have been on a date with Jenna. She could have been on a date with Sydney. She could have been on a date with, like, so many people that it would have been really Bridget Wu. Um, but no, just this, just this blonde nobody. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because, like, they don't, they have so many balls in the air at this point that they don't want to add, like, another mystery of, like, who is Paige dating? But um, it is weird. It's also funny that it's a blonde woman, considering, like, blonde women are, like, the lightning rod of this show. Um, But, yeah, it is, yeah, I know, it's, it's. yeah, it's an interesting, it's interesting that they choose to include this moment with Arya, like, it's weird, too, because they could have just had Paige be on her date at the brew and yes. have Emily witness Paige with this girl, which would have a lot more emotional impact and make a lot more sense. But instead, they're like, 
Arya needs to be the one to witness it. And I don't even remember. Is there a, I don't remember if there's a thing in the next episode where Arya's like, Emily, I have to tell you something. I saw Paige oh. on Paige. Maybe yeah, there I don't, is. I don't remember either. Maybe. But yeah, it just seems like such, it just seems like such an odd, like it's like just another hat on a hat. Like, well, also, why is Arya glowering at her? Emily broke up with Paige. Paige is allowed. <laughs> Yes. Paige is definitely allowed to be on this date. The Paige being on this date is not doing anything to Emily except like maybe showing her that oh she shouldn't have broken up with Paige if she doesn't want other people to also not be with Paige. But like, yeah, I mean, like I guess in Arya's belief system, Paige should just be in suspended animation until Emily decides if and when they're going to get back together, which unfortunately is what Paige does for kind of the rest of time. So you know, fair. That, unfortunately, like, is what what Emily wants. Yeah. Uh, so back over at the Rosewood Grill, I feel like we have a lot of locations in this episode. Um, the boys are talking. They've just, like, gone off to a separate table and left poor Hannah and Spencer to just, like, sit and stare over at them. Uh, Hannah asks Spencer what Caleb can say to Toby that he can't say to her. Uh, then Spencer delivers a line that because I am me, I read a few different ways. And the line is that sometimes people want to tell you something, but they can't just look you in the eyes and say it, she says, as she stares into Hannah's eyes, (laughs) because they're afraid of what you'll think of them. Like, for example, if Spencer was in love with Hannah, it might be hard for her to tell her in this moment. Well, it definitely seems like people are now on a date with who they should be on a date with. Hannah and Spencer are over here having a fine time at their table, um, you know, talking about like love and trust and what a committed relationship should look like. And the not fishing bros are off doing their own thing. So like, this is actually a much better configuration. Yes, everybody seems a lot more relaxed and like they're having a better time. Yes. Uh, Oh, can can I take the bros? Oh, you can. I just want to add Hannah's line at the end here when she says, if you love someone, you should be able to tell them anything. And Spencer replying, that's the theory. These two. Oh, my gosh. They Spencer, are in there. Oh, Spencer go ahead. Spencer needs a wife. She needs a wife. Also, they're like, this is another scene that feels like it is out of some kind of like star-crossed romance. Truly. Yeah. Truly it is. Um, over at the table with the man he loves, Caleb is saying, it's human nature. (laughs) Lots of guys drink to fall asleep. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Tony (laughs) says, why take a risk? Why not deal with whatever is making him unable to sleep? Solve that problem and the symptoms will go away. He and Caleb talk about Ravenswood And we get this very intense exchange, how Toby says, he's been there too, Ravenswood. And Caleb is like, you are just a tourist. I lived there, man. And, uh, oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy. That dog will not hunt. Uh, Toby presses him more about his drinking until Caleb gets angry enough to storm out. Hannah follows him. And looks exasperatedly at Spencer, who is looking exasperatedly at Toby. Everything is so stupid and also vaguely gay. Like, 
Because <laughs> one of the lines Toby has in this scene is, what are you so scared of that you'd rather drink than face it? And like Caleb's about to say it. And it's like, it's like Paige McCullers. If I say it out loud, if I say I'm gay, the whole world is going to change. Like it feels like we're on the precipice of somebody saying that they are gay, but instead it's Caleb saying that he's haunted. Like it's so, <laughs> he's coming out as haunted. It's just like a haunted coming out narrative. Is he a ghost or is he gay? Can he be both? Yes, yes, he can. He can be. Um, yeah. Also, like, why is Toby suddenly a therapist? Like, I feel like they're treating him like he has this like deep knowledge of how to like counsel somebody through all of this, and he does not. He does not. So back at the movie theater, while Strangers on a Train plays, uh, Aria has had enough. And she suddenly leans over and whispers something to Mona that clearly upsets Mona. Uh, Mona excuses herself to the restroom. And uh, again, this is upsetting, but also seems uh, a little bit gay. And I love Aria's little like, I don't know shrug to Mike when uh, he turns to her in confusion. Uh, so this is like a big like kind of enigmatic moment uh, for the show. What do you think she said? Um, I think that she said based on what Mona says in the next scene I think that she said something like um, like my dad hates you or something like that. Oh. Which- which like doesn't really hit that hard, but but Mona's Mona says has a line where she's like, "You're right, your dad should hate me." Maybe she says something like, "Everyone in my family hates you," or something like that. Hmm. What do you What do you think she says? Oh, I think it was. Uh, I think she was like maybe threatening to use Prezra's footage to expose some Vandermeeren hijinks. That's oh, what I think. I like that interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um. Oh man, back at the grill. Toby is sulking over his dinner that Spencer bought him that he feels like he didn't earn. So he messed up the entire intervention plan and is now mad at himself. And then he's forcing Spencer to do emotional labor to make him feel better. Then, oh, he changes the subject right before storming away to ask about what Melissa sent. Uh, Spencer is deliberately vague about the nature of it, what it was, but she does say that she thinks it was the truth and now she doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, This is a real defining line here because Toby wanted to be a cop and now we see there's already a situation where he is on the outside of the circle of people that Spencer can be completely honest with. And this is immediately after Hannah saying, if it's love, you should be able to tell them anything. Yes, and who who are the people who Spencer loves who she can tell things to? Spoiler alert, they're all women and they're all her best friends who she's secretly <laughs> in love with. <laughs> True. And like we talk a lot about like the way the show, like the, the way that the show casts love uh, and what it all means. And like, I mean, yes, there's certainly like there's certainly validity to like you should be able to tell your partner anything. You should be able to talk to your partner about anything. And I would also say you should be able to talk to your partner about anything without having to like have a like of a serial fear like a visceral fear of their anger which is definitely something that like the liars do not have like they do not have the freedom to like to like talk to the their boyfriends about anything 
without having to worry about how to manage the emotions of these uncontrollable men. Yeah, yeah. And it's Toby always when he is upset, even if he's not upset at Spencer, Spencer always ends up having to like deal with the brunt of his upset, which is an extremely unhealthy dynamic. Like we have seen so many scenes where it's like Toby's upset. He's not even mad at Spencer, but like he's expressing his upset as anger at Spencer. Yes. Yeah. Not good. So uh, Emily and Prezra are catching up on all things Allison. Uh, Prezra has gotten like a picture from one second after the the first picture that they had that conveniently features Cyrus turning towards the camera. So Allison was meeting with Cyrus, who we learn his name is not actually Cyrus. He's wanted for a whole bunch of petty crimes. Uh, Emily wonders what Allison promised him to get him to confess. Uh, they they kind of talk about how Allison has amazing gifts for knowing just what a person wants. And Prezra replies, a special gift that causes a bunch of damage. And I roll my eyes and gag over the fact that these two are bonding over their Allison feelings. Yuck. Yeah, and oh, what a what a dangerous gift to figure out what's missing and then try to supply that. That's exactly what Prezra has been doing with Arya from day one. Yeah, Ugh. completely, completely. Uh, uh, uh. Um, at the movie, Mike is worried about how long Mona has been gone. Arya offers to go check on her uh, in the bathroom. Mona immediately compliments Arya. She knows just where to slide the knife in. She isn't afraid to twist it. Um, also, we get Mona like looking in the mirror here and doing her makeup. And she's she was wearing a sweatshirt with a ice cream cone on it before. Now she's wearing ice cream cone earrings. Um, I don't know what's up with Mona and ice cream here, but Arya is kind of looking at her like she might be a snack. Um, <laughs> uh, the next thing that Mona says is that Allison underestimated Arya. Um, she's right. Her dad should hate her. She should throw, he should throw her out after everything that she's done. Mike deserves someone nice, which she isn't. Uh, and then like, so, so what Mona is doing here is a really interesting strategy. Whatever punch Aria threw, Mona is taking it and she's forcing Aria to watch Mona punch herself 10 times harder. Uh, and then- Mona gets to this point where she says, maybe I should have just died up there on that cliff. And once she takes it to that point, Arya's like, oh, no, don't say that. Don't ever say that. So now she's, like, turned Arya from attacking her to, like, sort of defending her, trying to pull her back from the brink. Um, And once that's happened, Mona warns her about Allison saying that once she's done with Mona, she'll come after the rest of them. The troops are falling out of line, and Allie can't trust the liars after Cyrus and after New York. Arya's <laughs> like, New York? What do you know about New York? What do you mean, New York? And Mona just says, uh, Mona doesn't prove that she knows anything. She's like, I know some things, and I've, I can guess about others. And that's like enough. Arya's like, gasp, she knows all about New York. Um, then she says that 
she really needs to ask Arya something. And Arya is, like, bracing for it to be, like, you know, tell me about the time you killed Shauna. Like, Arya is really, like, bracing for impact here. And then Mona says, I think Mike really likes me. <laughs> and this is, like, this is, like, the one-two punch. Like, Arya is so spun. This is, like, yet another game set and match to Mona. Mona, you are a master. Arya leaves this not knowing which way is up. God, Mona is just brilliant. And, like, what I love about this scene and, like, the best Mona scenes is, like, it's not like all of the emotions are fabricated. Like, I do think that uh, Arya saying some horrible thing to Mona would really kind of break Mona's heart a little bit. But she's also smart enough and clever enough to be able to spin all of this in her favor so just masterfully. And it's so interesting that, like, by the time she gets to the line about I should have just died on that cliff, like, you know, you don't know whether Arya is going to say, like, yeah, you should have. But Arya has this, like, visceral reaction of, like, don't you ever say that again, which is really interesting. Um, also, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think Arya reacts that way because Shauna's death is so fresh for her. Um, and, and so she's like, you know, Arya is just coming from a really different angle on that. And I think Mona knows that. I think that's true. I also was wondering, you know, there were definite hints at one point that Mike might have been suicidal. Ooh, and yeah. I think Arya hearing Mona voice, you know, a, a thought in that realm might really freak her out. Um, yeah, that's that's true. That's like that's like a a threat that slides right under. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also I think like as much as Arya doesn't want Mike and Mona together like she doesn't want Mike to be experiencing the heartbreak of his girlfriend being dead you know like true all of that true you know um but I also just I, Janelle's delivery of that line when she says like he deserves someone he, he deserves someone nicer than me he deserves someone who is nice which I am not like it's just it's said with this I don't even know just this kind of honesty but also this sort of theatricality that's just so just perfect god janelle is so good i mean the parentheses is and you know i'm not don't you aria and then she like exactly. throws aria up against the wall and they make out wildly well there's also yeah there is a vibe when she says that of like and you and you aren't either like and neither right. are you you know right, right. um and I like it's I love that even when she's insulting Allison, Mona can't help but be a little gay when she refers to Allison's lilting little laugh. Like <laughs> you heard about that lilting little, little laugh, Mona. Um, and then yeah, the the ending it with the do you think Mike really likes me? Like it's just she knows she knows exactly the game she's playing here. And she also knows like Aria, the romantic can't help be a little bit drawn in by that and like root for it a little bit and like you just see Arya soften immediately like you know butter in Mona's hands like it's it's Mona that Mona is good she is good no comparison absolutely it's so good it's okay and like what's so great about that is like you know that she would have played each liar a little bit differently in this scenario. You know, like she would have used different tools in her toolbox, but like she used the tools 
that are going to get to Arya for this specific interaction. Oh, and she, I mean, she took whatever Arya handed to her, which we'll never know exactly what it was. It, it could have been anything. And it would have gone down this way if she would have, like, just taken it and slid it right back. Yeah. Gosh. She's so good. She's so good. So Spencer is re-watching the Melissa video, periodically pausing the video and talking back to the screen. Oh, boy. Masterful writing here. Um, she, when, when Melissa talks about leaving, Spencer remarks that Melissa was always very good at leaving. There were times when she'd walk up the stairs and Spencer wanted to applaud. Um, then Spencer quotes back to the Tempest, uh, the, the, when, after Melissa quotes the Tempest and then as if there might've been some confusion on the part of the audience, Spencer says at the end, you're the one who really killed her. Poor Melissa. Spencer cries. And after Melissa says goodbye, Spencer says goodbye right back. It's like, again, it's Troyan doing the most with the least we are going to see this video like a third time in this episode, which is just a little too much. Um, but like, I get that they're trying to like, they're trying to show Spencer getting to the place of making the decision of showing this video to the liars. And for whatever reason, they felt like the only way to accomplish that was like by showing Spencer watching the video and responding to the video. Um, what do you think would have been a better way to communicate that choice? Oh, well, you know, I, I think you don't need to have Spencer watch the video again in order for Spencer to get to that point. I think you should, you could just see Spencer getting to that point as she talks to the other liars and as the situation is becoming more dire. Um, yeah. I also think I also think you could have Spencer doing this like tearful rewatch and have the other liars come in and overhear sure. by accident. I think that would be totally fine. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it seems like this episode was just short on minutes. Is is the overwhelming uh, the overwhelming feeling that I get from it? Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. We're padding time before we get to the finale for sure. <laughs> Oh, uh, interestingly, Spencer does not repeat the I love you at the end of the video. I found that interesting, too. Yeah. And I wondered if they were just like, well, that's a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. We got to show some restraint here, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, at the Montgomery house, Arya speaks to a barely looking at her while grading papers, Byron. She thinks the Mona and Mike thing will be okay after all. She just wants to keep an eye on her. Byron is glad. There's a knock on the door, and he thinks, oh, that might just be Lieutenant Tanner. Arya spins out again. Like, she just got done with this Mona interaction, and now her dad has a police coming over, like, in the dark of night. Um, She is very unhappy about this. Byron doesn't even know what Tanner wants. He's going to find out when she gets here. Uh, Aria like goes to hide behind a door somewhere and think about how much easier it is when she is a single parent and her invisible dad remains invisible. I just love how Byron, like, I feel like only, only this like white straight man could be like, oh yes, Lieutenant's coming over. 
Like, bring out the wine and cheese. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I'll go put my fedora back on. Like, it's just, it's, it's, oh, man. Byron, Byron is so much, so much himself. Oh, um, so back at the cabin, Caleb returns home in the dark and begins somewhat frantically starting to pack a bag. But who should turn on a light in a sort of like, you know, spy versus spy Hitchcockian, I've been waiting here for you all along twist. But Hannah, who has been sitting in the dark waiting for him, he yells about the intervention. She says that she knows and she initially came here to apologize, but decided not to after having to wait so long and being fearful that he might have died. Uh, she said he says that he can take care of himself. She says that normally that is true, but he can't take care of himself right now. She will fight for him, but he has to trust her. Interestingly, she mentions that she's been sitting in the dark waiting for him for an hour. We saw them leave the brew, like leave the grill at the same time. Where has Caleb been for an hour? Did Toby catch up to him for that hand job after all? <laughs> I think he probably did. I, I mean, think my, so. my answer is yes. Oh. Oy vey. <laughs> now, we get a scene with Byron and Tanner. <laughs> Tanner's just come over because she wants to talk. She hints that the police are interested in Arya. She muses about whether the girls are involved in a homicide or the covering up of a homicide. Um, Byron is pretty stolid in accusing her of harassing the girls and talking to them when no parents are present. Uh, he thinks that she should focus on the kidnapper, etc. Tanner then drops the bomb that she came here at like 11.30 p.m. to drop. She's been wanting one of the girls to step up and tell the truth. And now, bum, bum, bum. One of them is going to. She has an appointment with her tomorrow. And Byron is just like, who is the girl? Tell me, who is the snitch? Uh, and Tanner just like, will not tell him. And she strolls right out of there while Arya, working behind the wall, listening, is about to like claw her way out of her own skin. Why do you think Tanner goes to Byron with this news? Well, if you think that Tanner is a good detective, uh, I think it is possible that Tanner might know that Byron himself was out on the prowl the night that Bethany Young was murdered. And yeah. that he had no good intentions in his heart toward Allison. Uh, in that way, it makes sense to threaten Byron more than it makes sense to threaten anyone else. Um, but also, like, I think that Tanner might perceive Arya as the weak link. Mm. Yeah, I can see both of those. I mean, Arya did have the most visceral reaction uh, earlier when when they were talking about Bethany Young. So I could yeah. see that. Um, I do really like, I mean, again, Tanner is just hamming it up. But I do like when she's like, this town ranks low on curiosity. And like, her whole thing about it, like. You know, you there are lots of smart people involved in this murder investigation, and usually murder investigations get less complicated. Like she just like, you can tell, you know that she was just like in her car, like being like, oh, that's good. I'm gonna say that line when I get to his house. Um, um 
when when they get to the part where she's talking about like like you're saying like oh murder investigations get less complicated like homicide homicide who's covering up a homicide like there is just so she she's so over the top with it and byron is just like but i think that like since tanner is like in this episode throwing out questions like surprise who do you think killed bethany young like you expect her to be like hiding in the bushes all over town and is jumping out and asking people. This is kind of like a drag race when they're like, which of the other girls do you think <laughs> should go home? I feel like the liars need to like get together and just pick someone that they're going to say they think killed Bethany Young. Like, yes. if it's Cyrus, fine. If it's Allison, fine. If it's Cece, fine. But like, they should all like pick an answer and stick to it. Yeah, yeah, and it is kind of, I mean, to, to extend the drag race mat- metaphor further, it's like that thing where, like, they start at one end of the line, and, like, one girl says one girl, <laughs> and so they all just keep saying that girl, often because it's like, you know, nobody's going to get mad if you all just say the same girl, right? Right. Um, and so I feel like they need a similar strategy for uh, for, for getting through this. Um, I do love, though, Tanner being, like, like ta- I feel like Tanner is almost like Marlene in this episode, Honestly, like she's just kind of like dropping little hints and dropping little clues. And the way that she's like, like one of the liars wants to talk and he's like, which one? Like the audience is. And she's like, good night, Mr. Montgomery. Like it's it's like Marlene rubbing her hands together and being like, you just wait till next week, everybody. (laughs) Well, also, we don't um, like, why don't they all say they think that Jenna, who is their enemy, killed Bethany Young. Why don't they all say Wilden, who is dead and cannot defend himself and who they know killed Garrett? Why don't they say that he killed Bethany Young? Why don't they say that Ian killed Bethany Young? Like there are so many people that they could say they think killed Bethany Young. They shouldn't just be acting like, I don't know, like like flies with their mouths hanging open every time this comes up. Yeah, the liars suddenly in the last few weeks have become determined to be, like, weirdly very truthful. Like, between their whole conviction, like, about Cyrus, and then the whole, like, we gotta go to the cops, and, like, all of this. Like, suddenly the truth is mattering to them in a way that it usually doesn't. Um, I'm not really sure why. Uh, So, following this interaction, there is an SOS at Spencer's with everyone minus Hannah. Uh, none of them are planning to talk. And I do like Spencer very defensively being like, well, I didn't go to her. Um, but they like, it seems like it takes them a while to land on the most likely possibility, which is that it is Allison who they've been saying is like betraying them this whole time. Good work, girls. Uh, Emily suddenly produces the photo of Allison with Cyrus, along with the knowledge that she's been working with Prezra. And and she has a moment of being defensive when she's like, who else was going to help us? Mona, perhaps? <laughs> Just a thought? Um, they say that if they, um, if they go, to, that, that this would be the end of Allison's kidnapping story if this photo got out. Uh, Spencer says that she has to show them something, but she cannot wait for Hannah. And I'm so sorry that you are getting this next scene. You know, I had offered to let you have that scene where <laughs> I and Mona were talking in the bathroom because it's like you love Mona scenes. And you're like, oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> now I get this scene. <laughs> lucky, lucky me. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Hannah and Caleb are talking and he is telling her about that long last about his being hashtag haunted. So there was a contract with a preacher and some jars and a bridge and a lot of fireflies and Grunwald called it a great ascendancy, but Miranda's still dead and Ouija boards are real and he can sleep, but he's afraid Miranda will come to him in a dream and be mad that he didn't save her. He's not the same person he was. There's a whole spirit world out there that he knows about now. Hannah is like, this is this is the part where I feel like Ashley Benson is just like, <laughs> but Hannah is like unmoved and, and like works to convince him like she's like not engaging with him on like like she's just taking it at face value like okay great ascendancy Grunwald thousand year old contract with this preacher loopholes like she's just like not even engaging with all of that like if Caleb believes it. She's just like, okay. Um, but she's like, but you you kept your promise. You tried to save her. And he's like, you don't understand. And she's like, I understand enough. I'm not the same person you left either. We'll work the rest of it all out. And then they have like their, you know, she's like, we've come too far to not have a happy ending. Oh, girl. Uh, then they do their big heterosexual kiss of reunification. And as if we had not, like, as if we had not had to go through, like, all of this dreadful, dreary Ravenswood dialogue, which, like, Ravenswood did not succeed. The pilot and the season did not get picked up. No one was watching it. So, like, you can assume that a lot of the PLL viewers did not watch it and did not have any knowledge of what all this was. So you just had to go through all of this dreck and and our reward for listening to all of this dreck is that then as they're kissing the little palette of the Ouija board moves on its own and it moves to the word goodbye. It's Miranda from the afterlife, man. I mean, is it or is it my spirit leaving my body because this scene actually killed me? It could be either thing. This might be one of the worst scenes in all of PLL. Oh, that is a hot take, but I think you are not wrong. I think that this this could wind up like on a top 10 list of worst overall for like bad dialogue, shit no one cares about campiness and just lack of like lack of any permanent meaning i love how we have never seen the ouija board in the cabin and suddenly it exists like caleb has been like caressing the palette during this during this discussion they've been having He's like, this isn't a game or a toy. It's real. Like, he's talking like somebody who just did acid, I feel like. (laughs) We don't know what he and Toby got up to in that hour. It was true, true. Like, he is ranting and raving. Um, He is ranting and ravens. Yeah, it's, 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 it's bad. And you can just tell that Hannah slash Ashley Benson are so ready to move on from (laughs) scene and this moment in time like the fact that these two had to memorize these lines and deliver them wow they 
they probably had to do like 50 takes because this dialogue is just like a bunch of nonsense words. Like I'm sure they had to do it a bunch of times. And by the end she was just like, missed me with the fucking fireflies already. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. It's so dumb. Also. So the Ouija board, the Ouija board is like saying goodbye, but like Caleb doesn't see that happen. Hannah doesn't see it happen. Is it is it us? Do the viewers need this moment of Miranda, who we haven't seen since the end of season four? Like, do we need this moment of Miranda saying goodbye to us? Or is this just the hauntedness saying goodbye? <laughs> and that's really polite. That's a very polite haunted. It's <laughs> a very polite haunting. Yeah. Yeah. I... <laughs> Yeah, little Miss Chip Caper herself had to come down from heaven and let us know that she, her soul is free and she's okay. So it like wasn't before he hadn't saved her before, but now he kissed Hannah and so her spirit is released. I guess so. He talked about it with Hannah and now it's like all okay. Listen, the only thing worse being hung up on hashtag haunted Caleb would be to be undead and be hung up on hashtag haunted Caleb. Like the prospect of like that being your eternity is just (laughs) bone chilling. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's like, it's just, it's just so confounding. It's just so dumb. It's just, and like, yeah, like when he brings up the Grunwald, it's like, Oh God, the Grunwald was there. You know what it is? You know what it is? This is what it is. It's like somebody describing in detail a dream they had to you. And you have to sit there and be like, hmm, uh-huh. Sounds, yeah, sounds really interesting. And he's like, and then the Grunwald showed up. Fireflies. And, like, I think the fireflies mean something. And, like, there was a Ouija board, but it was, like, it was, like, a real Ouija board. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't fake. It was, like, it wasn't a game. And Hannah's just, like... Yeah, okay, yeah. No, I see how that's about your mother. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's what this scene is. You are correct. <laughs> Which is so funny, because later, Hannah is going to talk about the dream she had where Noel pushed someone down the stairs, and that's just going to become reality. And the Grunwald was there, too. <laughs> the Grunwald is always there. She's always lurking. Oh, wow. All right. So the liars have now watched the Melissa video. We get to watch the tail end of it for the third time. And Aria helpfully announces for anybody still confused at home that (laughs) Melissa killed Bethany Young. The liars then shift to the more pressing question of why was Bethany wearing Allison's clothes? Was this all a plan? A setup? Was somebody trying to get Allison killed or have Bethany take Allison's place? Emily inadvertently refers to Allison as A, which is a great little moment, uh, but doesn't really get much more attention because the liars have to shift to their concern over what Spencer will do with the video. Elsewhere at the cabin, Caleb is sleeping like a little lamb with the Ouija board saying goodbye in front of him. Uh, Hannah is like kind of staring out into the dark of night where we see a bunch of fireflies all gathering together. Uh, then 
Hannah goes to call someone on her phone. This is sort of like a false lead, I think, to make us feel like, ooh, what if it is Hannah who's going to Tanner? Who knows? What could it be? Mm. Um, but there is no A tag because we want everybody to think that Allison is A and she's out of town. Although we do get like a hint of footsteps moving away from the cabin as Hannah and Caleb are inside. Yeah, I think if they really wanted us to think that Allison was A, they could have sold it a little bit better. It feels kind of half-hearted to me. Well, oh, I definitely agree. Uh, But one of the things that they are doing in this episode that we said, oh, it's so meta, is that Spencer says at one point about Melissa, like, she could be back in Europe or she could be at, like, you know, the, the motor lodge down the road. Uh, and also here we think that Allison is out of town with her dad, but she could be anywhere. Like when a character is not on screen, they could be literally anywhere. Right, right, exactly. Um, so that's it. That's the episode. That's no one here can love or understand me. A wild wonky ride. <laughs> they really could have, uh, it, it really feels like they were just kind of like burning the minutes till they could get to the mid-season finale. Yeah, I really think that this half season could have been easily could have been 10 episodes and we wouldn't really have missed anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're I think you're definitely right. Um, But the next episode is taking this one to the grave, which in my memory is a pretty exciting episode, a pretty good half season finale. Lots of Mona that where Mona really earns the moniker Vander Jesus. You know what? Okay, I remember that as a good episode, too. I remember it as a strong episode. But I'm going to tell you that I also remember one of the things about that episode is that it's one of those where they start with the end and then they work backwards, which, as we've been doing this rewatch, we often know that those are not the strongest in terms of construction. So I'm really interested. I'm really interested to rewatch that one and see how it holds up. And I would say we've also pretty consistently found season finales and half season finales to not be that great. Like, as, yeah, as we as we in. get later in the as we get later in the seasons, that's definitely true. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, do we have any final thoughts on the messiness that is no one here can love or understand me? Um, no, no, not really. But if, if you out there in the world have any thoughts on what Arya said to Mona in the movie theater <clears throat> or, um, you know, whether you really wanted to watch that Melissa confession tape a fourth or even a fifth time, um, please let us know. Yes. You know, I will say one thing that I do think is interesting about this episode is that I like that the title it's it's from it's from the song Bye Bye Blackbird, which is a, a song that's referenced a lot in the show. And I really like how that title applies to multiple characters. It definitely applies to Melissa, you know. Um it, it applies to Caleb. Uh and I think it also really applies to Mona here. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that is a that is a great point. And also about the just the isolation that the liars seem to be facing. Oh, sure. And Allison, in a sense, as well, you know, mm-hmm. that she's off somewhere and, you know, being misunderstood. Yeah, this episode, uh, this episode, for all of its messiness, one of the things that it does is it tries to elevate itself with, like, illusions. Like, they have the whole Strangers on the Train thing, and we're getting, like, yeah. shots of that movie while Mona is, you know, being upset 
Uh, it also has the Tempest stuff where um, Spencer and Melissa are quoting it back to each other or Spencer is quoting it at a video screen, etc. Uh, and then we also, like you said, we have the title illusion as well. So it's trying to tie itself up with some more lofty uh, things that maybe have better articulated ideas. Um, but it's still cool. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, and I think that's kind of a Joseph Doherty thing, too, because I think this episode oh, yeah. was written by him. Um, well, if you have thoughts on this episode, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. We will be back next week. Hard to believe. End of 5A. Feels like we got there fast. Does. Wow. Wild. All right. Well, until then. Take care. Thank you.